This is Ask a Biologist, a program about the living world, and I'm Dr. Biology. If you wrote a letter to creatures from other worlds, what would you say about life on Earth? And for that matter, our planet? How would you say it? I mean, would you need a universal translator like in Star Trek? Think about it for a moment and start writing because what you write might be beamed into space as part of the Dear Aliens essay competition that is hosted by the Arizona State University Origins Project. That's right. Your thoughts, your words could be traveling through space if your letter is selected. To get your mind ready for writing, on today's program we'll be looking outwards towards distant planets as well as thinking about our world. How would you describe ourselves? And what might we expect life to be like in galaxies far away? Today's guest is going to help us with our quest. Lucy Hawking is a well-known author who, with the help of her characters, George, Eric, and Annie, have been exploring the universe. Did I also mention their super-intelligent computer cosmos? So sit back and listen in as we travel through space and explore the possibilities of life on other planets. Lucy Hawking, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about getting our exploration going. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Biology. Great pleasure to be here. This contest, Dear Aliens, I had to have you on here because I think it's such a wonderful blend of creativity and science and exploring and research because you really need to learn about where we live and what we are to do a good job. So talk a little bit more about Dear Aliens. Dear Aliens is a competition which asks school-age students in the Maricopa County area to think about what they would say if we received a signal from an intelligent alien life form. It asks them to think about if you had to speak for humanity, what would you say? So what would your response be if an intelligent extraterrestrial got in touch? So it really does take quite a lot of thought because it's an exercise which requires creative thinking. It requires research. It could be historical. It could be scientific. And to an extent, philosophical, because it asks you to consider the human race. What have we done? Who are we? And what is this planet? So you imagine an alien sends us a signal and wants to know about us. What's the most important thing to say? That's a good question. And not only that, they can't write a book about it, can they? No, they can't. They have to be concise. It's going to be quite a short message. We've deliberately done it with uh, quite tight word limits. Right. And the word limits are? The word limits are all on the website. I don't want to get them wrong. I know that for K to 2, it's 50 words. Then I think 3 to 4 is 100. It's a sliding scale that goes up depending on the age of the entrant. So what are the deadlines? Right. We would like to have entries by the 1st of April, please. If they could be mailed to us at the Origins Project at ASU, that would be fantastic. And then the ceremony, so when we're going to bounce the winning message off the moon, is on the 9th of April. Yeah, so cool. At 1 p.m. At 1 p.m.? At 1 p.m. And the winners, winners will um, have their entry moon bounced. We've also got some very amazing Dear Aliens t-shirts being made at the moment and we hope to have certificates as well as well as some tickets to the evening performance um, at the big ASU auditorium called Gamage where there's going to be um, the planets so we're going to have full orchestra doing the planets which is a very rousing and cosmic piece of music um, with images, amazing images from NASA narrated 
by Lawrence Krauss, who is a wonderful, wonderful presence on stage. And then the second half of that evening will be my father, Stephen Hawking, giving a talk about his life in science. So it's a great, great evening and all the winning entries will get tickets. But one of the things I was curious about is on the contest, why are we only doing Maricopa County? Why didn't we do national? Well, we could have done it nationally, but um, we were trying to do outreach in our local area. And we also wanted to be able to hold an award ceremony um, at the end of it on the ASU campus. And we wanted to be sure that students who'd entered were geographically able to come to the campus. We didn't want parents to be put under stress or expense, especially these sort of rather difficult times of being asked to travel a long way for their child to receive some kind of certificate or award. So actually we thought that we would limit it to our local area, also because we're moon-bouncing the winning entry. And we very much want whoever the winning entrant is to be able to come to ASU for the moon bounce. Um, Also, like I say, this is a kind of pilot version of this competition. We may well do it again, but we've never done anything like this before here. And so we really thought there's certainly a value in running something on a small scale and make sure you know how it works before you run it on a huge scale. And I'll give the address here, but we're going to have the link from this podcast so they can just click on it and get not only the address, but they can get all the details, uh, how long the the essays are, when to get it in, and all those things. Yes, and just a personal plea, please, please, please remember to send in the permission slip. We do need the permission slip. These are school-age students, and we need a parental permission slip. Right. Good point. Okay, so when you get that parental permission slip, You have that winning essay ready. That's right. And it's all set together. Don't forget the stamp. Don't forget your stamp. Get it on there. You're going to mail it to Dear Aliens, ASU Origins Project, Arizona State University, P.O. Box 871902, and that's in Tempe, Arizona, 85287-1902. And we'll have a link from this show right to the contest, so it'll make it really easy for the students and the teachers to find out how to do this. That's the idea. We do want to get teachers involved. I have put briefing notes for teachers and for parents, for maybe homeschooling parents, on the website so that they can give them somewhere to start because it is a big question. As we've just said, it's almost so big that you don't know where to begin. So we've given some uh, background notes on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and maybe some thoughts that will just get people started. And along those lines, I'm actually going to quote you. You said, Dear Aliens, give students a chance to write the intergalactic tourist guide for extraterrestrial visitors. And I thought, ooh, that's so cool because that might be some way for them to approach it is to look at some of these tour guides. If you're going to go tour England or if you're going to tour Australia or you're going to go to South America. That's a really good idea, Dr. Biology. I think that's an excellent idea. If you looked at a description of a foreign country, whether it's one you've been to or you haven't been to, and you can think about, well, what have they highlighted about this place? What things about England, about New Zealand, about Italy, for example, have they picked out of that culture, of that civilization, of those people to say, here's what we think you'll find really interesting. And look at the first thing they list. What's the most interesting thing about that country? And that'll start to give you some ideas. The other part of this, creativity. Okay, so creativity and science. 
And, and often people don't think science is creative. They have a tendency to think you have to be brilliant and you, it's a lots of work and, and, and heaven forbid math, things like that. But in reality, a really good scientist is creative. So this is actually, even though we say it's a beautiful blend, it actually is more realistic than we think. I think it's very important for scientists to be able to express their ideas in ways that everybody can understand. So if we have young scientists out there who enter, then I think it's equally a good exercise for them in learning to frame their thoughts in a way that's accessible and interesting for other people. Again, I've worked with scientists for six years now to write a series of adventure stories about physics and astronomy. I'm actually not a scientist. I'm a creative writer. So I have a lot of practice in this particular area. I've worked with quite a lot of scientists because some very distinguished scientists are very kindly contributed to the books I write and they have written essays about their work for a school-age audience. None of them had ever written for kids before. They all did a great job and they all really enjoyed it as an exercise. They found it a very, very different, very imaginative way to frame their thoughts about their research. I've often said that I know a scientist is really good when they can explain what they do and why they do it to a fifth grader. I think that's very, very true. Certainly, I'm obviously influenced by the work of my father, Stephen Hawking, and he has a great talent and a great passion for explaining his work in a very simple way. And so that's kind of where this whole genre of popular science writing actually really does start with him and A Brief History of Time, which is, I know this may be a debated point, but it is the first popular physics book. And it's really to his credit that he had that idea. And he said, I think people can understand my work and the work of my colleagues and the work of the scientists who've come before me. If only we can find a way to explain it to them that maybe doesn't involve too much mathematics. Well, let's talk a little bit about the books. Hmm. You have several books you've written, but the two I'm really interested in here are the ones where you have these characters. And we have George, we have Eric, we have Annie, and their supercomputer Cosmos. And you've mentioned that, uh, yes, you've done this with a co-author, your father, who's Professor Stephen Hawking. You, along with your father, have a lot of experience with space and the vast universe. And so even though you're being creative, you're being creative from a grounded and realistic manner. It's not as if you've gone off on some fantastical world. You actually have an idea of what possibly could be out there as well. You brought in one of the books, and what I thought you could do is read a section in it because I think these are the ways young readers and young writers can learn, and this is the way I've learned. So if you might, go ahead and uh, pick a section and let's go. Right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Biology. I'm going to read uh, an excerpt from the first third of George's Cosmic Treasure Hunt. And what's happening here is that George and his friend Annie think that they may have received a message from the aliens. Now, Annie's father, Eric, is a scientist, and he works with a supercomputer called Cosmos, and Cosmos is the world's most powerful computer. But unfortunately, at the end of the first book, George's Secret Key to the Universe, Cosmos sort of exploded with the effort of rescuing Eric out of a black hole. Oh, no. I know. It was such a big and difficult task that poor Cosmos kind of went into meltdown, and he's never really worked since. And so Annie, in an attempt to resurrect Cosmos managed to get him working for just a few seconds and a strange message had flashed up on his screen. Now, her father doesn't believe her. He thinks it was just some sort of odd computer malfunction. But Annie is absolutely convinced that this is somebody out there trying to get in touch. So, here we go. I think, said Annie firmly, 
that someone out there is trying to get in touch with us. What are we going to do, said George. We've got to go out there, said Annie, and see for ourselves. But first, we have to fix Cosmos. We need to see if the aliens are sending us any more messages, and then maybe we can send one back. How would we do that, asked George. I mean, how can we send a message that they will understand? And even if we knew how to send it, what would we say? And in what language? They sent us the message in pictures. It must be because they don't know how to speak to us. I think we're going to say, leave our lovely robot alone, you pesky aliens, said Annie, looking fierce. You're messing with the wrong civilization. Pick on someone else. But we want to know who they are and where they come from, protested George. We can't just say, get lost aliens, and never find out who sent the message. Hmm. What about, come in peace and then go home, said Annie. So we find out who they are, but they're not allowed to come to Earth if they have evil intentions. Ha! Yeah, said George. Who's going to stop them? They could land here and be like huge, scary machines who could stamp us into the ground, just like we do with ants. Or, said Annie, her eyes shining in the light from the flashlight. They might just be teeny-weeny, like little wriggly bacteria under a microscope. Only they don't realise how large we are, so we don't even notice them when they arrive. They might have 14 heads and dribble slime, said George. We've noticed that. They heard a creaking noise, followed by footsteps on the stairs. A bleary-eyed Eric came out onto the veranda. Oh, what's going on here? he asked. Uh, George couldn't sleep, said Annie quickly, because of um the jet lag, so I was just um getting him a glass of uh, water. Huh, said Eric, his hair sticking up all over the place. Upstairs with you both now. George sneaked into the room he shared with Emmett and hopped back into the bed, but not before he'd taken Annie's flashlight from her. He was wide awake now, so he got out his copy of The User's Guide to the Universe and turned to the chapter Getting in Touch with Aliens. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, so There now, we go. Yes. Well, you actually touched on a subject that, you know, one of the questions is, are aliens going to be friend or foe? Well, of course, this is something that's been quite hotly debated. And uh, certainly my father's weighed in with that, with saying that he doesn't believe we should contact aliens because he thinks they might be very dangerous. And I think if anyone's been to the cinema lately, there's a few films out there at the moment which imply Battle Los Angeles, I'm thinking of, that imply that they would be very, very warlike and that their interests would be not even in colonisation, would just be in destruction of the human race so that they could take our resources. Now, I think none other than the very distinguished Seth Shostak from SETI has pointed out that the idea of aliens coming for our water is really laughable, that the idea that the aliens would want to transport something as heavy for a start as water into stellar distances is very unlikely. But I think there's really no way of knowing. There are also plenty of hopeful reasons to think they might be a peaceful civilization. They might be very intelligent. They might be intelligent enough to see the folly of war and aggressive behavior. And they might come in the spirit of exploration, the spirit of peace. I'd just like to point out, our competition is talking about what would we say if they got in touch. We're not suggesting initiating the contact. We're suggesting that aliens have got in touch with us and we are replying. Right. And that's a really important point. So what would you say if they say, hello, we're here? To be honest, I think we'd probably say hello back again. Right. I think that's the first thing we would say. Although, obviously, as you heard in, in that excerpt from uh, George's Cosmic Treasure Hunt, whether they say hello, whether they say zook, I mean, who knows? 
Right. This goes back to Star Trek and the Universal Translator. We don't yes. have one of those yet. No. So, so the question again, and you could go to some Hollywood movies. The, mm. You know, mathematics they say mm-hmm. is a good way to do it. There's all sorts of possibilities, and this is what they can write about as well. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. I don't. I'm not. I mean, they could contact us in mathematics. They could contact us in George's Cosmic Treasure Hunt. The message comes in pictograms. Right. Could be in song. It, it could be in any way, and we just won't know. Until we receive that message, we can speculate and we could think about how we could answer, but we can't know. And so for this competition, the field is wide open. Oh. All right. As a writer, let's put on our writing cap and give some advice for getting started. Because sometimes the hardest part about writing is that first sentence. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, and, and I, I wish I had some easy advice to give on this because if I had some easy advice I'd be able to take it myself I think all writers fear the blank page more than anything else and I think the other thing that we all seem to have the same habit is looking at the blank page being determined that you are going to write something and then thinking of five other things that immediately you feel you have to go and do so one thing I think is useful is just to scribble down thoughts as you have them because sometimes you have your great thoughts when you're not intending to have them so you could be maybe in the back of your parents car you could be having dinner you could be falling asleep anything like that so if you have a good thought even if it's not a good thought don't even think about whether it's a good or bad thought just jot it down somewhere because you think you'll remember it but you may not and it'll be really useful for you because then if you if you've got five say by the time you get to five points look at what you have and see what you could do with those five things then if you get to it and you don't like what you've done, you can change it. But it's much easier to start with something, actually have something, and then work on it. So that would be my best advice is when the thoughts come into your mind and you think, oh, yes, dear aliens, hmm, I would say then just write it down on a bit of paper. Right. Or write it, jot it down on your computer, whatever. And uh, because it's very portable, paper is portable. It's still my favorite way to write. but <laughs> Right. Uh, you can use uh, a, a journal. I mean, yeah. A lot of times students have those anyway for, for class. But exactly. Th- this is a good reason to have a journal. And I actually have a classic black journal and I have a collection of them. And they just keep growing. And they have random thoughts, some of which I'll never get back to. And others are the ones that you go back and say, oh, yeah, now I remember jotting that mm-hmm, down or mm-hmm. something was very interesting. And it may not have been used for a long time, but it's still there. So- I have stacks and stacks and stacks of notebooks. And sometimes I go back and I look and I think, what on earth did I mean by that? I have no idea what that means. And other times I look back and I think, oh, yes, I know exactly what that was. And if you'd asked me to quote the phrasing of what I wrote I would never have been able to do it from memory but it's there on paper and I have it that can lead your thought process onto something really interesting on another show uh, we had uh, Paul Davies a cosmologist physicist uh, and a microbiologist Ferran Garcia Bichel and both of them fit in this realm called astrobiology and so this is you know life in the outer worlds Mm -hmm. you know type of thing and a lot of times learning about life on other planets is to look at life on our own planet that live in some rather extreme areas. And yes. so that, that was where we talked a little bit about extremophiles. The show was about life and building E.T. Not to give anything away, I'm going to ask you, because you've thought about these things, I'm going to let you build because they got to build their own favorite possible being. And I can tell you right now that, of course, Ferran being a microbiologist didn't get anywhere out of the soil. It was really, really <laughs> tiny. And Paul was off on to another tangent altogether. But I thought maybe you would share with us maybe your favorite 
alien. My yeah. favourite alien. Well, there are all sorts of features that we could talk about whether aliens do or don't have them. And there are some that we can sort of make assumptions about some of their physical features, what they might be like. And they would be very dependent on the conditions on their home planet, for example. So say if they live on their home planet and they move around the surface of it, then they will have something akin to feet. They will have some, we might not recognize them as feet or think of them as feet, but they'll have some way of moving, especially if they need to move towards a source of food or source of liquid, who knows. Um, if their planet is in orbit around a star and it's lit, then they would probably have eyes. They would have something, some means of seeing and Presumably they will need to take in some form of fuel, so they might have a mouth. So they may have these features, but I tend to think that whatever we can imagine an alien is looking like is probably wrong. So I think every possible vision of what an alien looks like that we've ever come up with, you could take all the representations from all the comic books and TV shows and films and they'll all be completely bogus however there are some features that i would like aliens to have um, i would like them to be intelligent i would like them to be peaceful i would like them to be interested in communicating with us and if they are a very advanced civilization which if they do manage to find us and contact us we're going to sort of really assume that they are further advanced than we are that they might be able to share some of their wisdom with us they might be able to tell us how we can deal with some of the problems we have now they might also give us hope that life is possible in other parts of the universe because at the moment we really only know about life on planet earth and we're making a little bit of a mess of that one we're very overcrowded we have real struggles for resources which are not going to get any better in the short term so that's my hope for the aliens is that they will be able to share some wisdom with us that will help us in our future Mm. all right Now, I just have somebody else I have to mention quickly. You talked about Paul Davis, and I just wanted to let you know that this competition is actually sort of based on him, really, because um, Paul is a very distinguished, very famous scientist, has written a lot of books, done a lot of teaching, travelled the world. A lesser-known fact about him is that he's head of the SETI post-detection task group, and this means that if we did get a signal from ETI, that's extraterrestrial intelligence, then Paul would actually be the one person on planet Earth who would be responsible for formulating our response. So I found out about this in the summer when I knew I was coming to Arizona in in the fall. And that gave me the idea for Dear Aliens. So when I got here, I said to Paul, well, if they get in touch, what are you going to say? And it occurred to me that this would be a great chance to ask young people what they thought. Ask them to imagine that they were basically in Paul's shoes and that they would have to decide what to say. So Paul obviously has been a big part of this competition and he will be, you know, the final decider on judging the competition entries. Well, and knowing him, I would be a betting person that he will use some of it, actually. I think he's very open-minded. Yes, I think he is, and I think that's one nice thing about this competition as well for kids considering entering it to know is that their essay will actually be read by the person who might have to actually do this in reality so paul if he ever does get contacted by the aliens he will have read your messages wow history making exactly well all my guests on ask a biologist can't get out of here without answering three questions okay give it to me dr biology right typically i have scientists but i have also had reporters and journalists and a wide range and because you know science includes everyone and and it doesn't mean you have to be the scientist no so this is slightly modified Typically, we say, when did you first 
know that you wanted to be a scientist or a biologist? And in this case, when did you know you wanted to be a writer, and how did you know what you wanted to write about? Well, when I was in, say, fifth grade, I used to regularly write stories. And they were always stories about other worlds and other civilizations full of sort of strange creatures and I would draw maps of them and illustrate them. So I suppose I had that interest from really quite an early age. Um, I was quite a sort of creative child in that I did a lot of drama, dance, singing. I used to make my own radio show and insist that my parents' friends would allow me to interview them with a microphone. So oh, I, I, was probably, <laughs> I was probably very irritating, actually, thinking back. Oh, um, no, 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 no. So I, I think I knew I wanted to do something creative, although... It took me quite a long time to work out in which field I wanted to be. I certainly did a lot of acting in my teenage years um, and was in a lot of productions, a lot of plays, a lot of musicals. And then it was really at university and then post-university I, I became a journalist because I realised I wanted to go into writing and that seemed the best way to get into that world. And then when did you find the subject that really got you going? Because I, I know you've written smaller pieces. Like most people that get into writing, they do shorter pieces but your books, you actually have two genres, I would say. Well, but. with um, the adventure stories about physics, uh, that idea came when um, some of my son's friends were talking to my dad at one of my son's birthday parties. And they were asking him lots of questions and saying, so, Stephen, what would happen if I fell in a black hole? And it was so entertaining to see them absolutely gripped and entranced, waiting for my father to type the response because he speaks with a synthetic computer voice. And he gave them the answer to this question. And they were so thrilled with his response all about what would happen depending on the size of the black hole. It might get turned into spaghetti if it was a small one. I just thought they were really interested in this. And I also realised that my father was very good at giving answers that were informative but entertaining at the same time. And so that was what gave me the idea for the George series. And I think it's, I think it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. It's a great collaboration. We've just finished the third and final volume, Ooh. which is called George and the Big Bang, which I think speaks for itself, really. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm glad to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. All right. So now we know that you've always pretty much been a writer and and the the beginnings of George and Annie and Eric and the wonderful computer cosmos. I'm going to take it all away. Oh, right? no. I want you to stretch. I'm going to take that away from you, and I want you to think about... What would you do or what would you be if you could be anything else if that was taken away from you? What would I be if I could be anything else? If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have still said I would like to go into acting because I still I think that's, that's an amazing career um, and fascinating to have the challenge of portraying a different person to actually get inside somebody else's skin and see the world as they see it and react as they react is like being able to live more than one life. I think that's what's so fascinating about it. But to be honest, actually, if I had to choose a different career now, I'd probably be an ice cream maker. Really? Yes, I think that would be really nice. Do you have a favourite flavour? Well, I just stopped off at my favourite place in Scottsdale, which is called Sweet Republic, on my way here. And I had some of their basil and lemon sorbet, Ooh. which is absolutely delicious. I don't know that I would have put those two together. No, no, no. But it's really... Um, Sweet Republic is a place that fortunately I only just discovered and I only have two months left in Arizona. So I think that's a good thing because it's the best ice cream I've ever had in my life. So if I had to have another career, I would have a little ice cream shop like Sweet Republic. Okay. Well, but I'd have the walls lined with books. That would be the only difference. It would, would be you? ice cream and books. Well, if you have the shop, I'll come and, <laughs> and try some of your creations. Thank you. All right. The last question. What advice would you have for young writers 
or communicators. And I, and I say young, but quite frankly, there are a lot of people that have always wanted to be. So I say those young at heart as well. Yes. What's, what would you say? Well, um, I'll give the same advice that I was given. I talked to a friend of mine who is a very established poet and writer, and I said to him, oh, look, I want to be a writer. And he said, well, then I have some advice for you. And I said, like, oh, what's that? Expecting to hear something life-changing. And he just looked at me and he said, write. <laughs> That's it. That's my advice. Right. Practice yeah. the craft. Right. Just Do write. Yeah. Although I'm going to add something to that and read. I think reading is the forgotten part of writing. I was a very early reader and a very obsessive reader. I used to try and read books under the dinner table. I just sort of would take a book. I would wander around the house reading my book all the time, and I still do that. But I think reading is a really important part of writing because if you don't love books and if you don't love reading, then I would question why you would want to go into writing. Yes, I think so. And and there's something about reading versus watching a movie or television and the we we talk about that a bit because you become part of the creative process and i think i think that's 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 a great way to do it well lucy hawking thank you so much for visiting with me well thank you dr biology this has been really a lot of fun and thank you very much for featuring dear aliens oh it's going to be a hit and i know it's going to go on to bigger and better things so maybe we'll even have you back for the next iteration thank you maybe next year Right. We'll do it uh, since you'll be back home. Uh, we'll do it via. We can link some, up by. Yes. Yeah, we'll have to link up internationally. Or perhaps, you never know, perhaps we can get the Origins Project to ask me back. Oh, there you for go. For the Dear Aliens next year. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to Ask a Biologist, and my guest has been author Lucy Hawking, currently the writer in residence at the ASU Origins Project. The Ask a Biologist podcast is produced on the campus of Arizona State University and is recorded in the Grassroots Studio, housed in the School of Life Sciences which is a division of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. And remember, even though our program's not broadcast live, you can still send us your questions about biology using our companion website. The address is askabiologist.asu.edu, or you can just Google the words Ask a Biologist. I'm Dr. Biology.